like to invite you to turn with me to the prophecy of Zechariah, second last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, we plan to start and then read through the end of chapter 2. It's interesting, there's eight visions here, and they're all given in one night. So this is the third vision we're looking at particularly. We'll read the second one, but also the third one is what we focus on in 2 verse 5, that verse there. But eight visions uh, meant to encourage the people of God to be strong and courageous in the Lord. These are called to rebuild. And these are uh, exiles who have returned from uh, Babylon. And the Lord is encouraging through the prophet Zechariah. So, Zechariah beginning at chapter 1, verse 18. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? So he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? So he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations. That I lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. And then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? He said to me, To measure Jerusalem to see what it's its width and what its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. And I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah and his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. And our focus is verse 5. For I myself, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her. Well, thinking of the housing economy, central to God's, or central to the economy of God's kingdom, is his house, is his church, and it's secure. That one thing we can be absolutely sure about. And in the first vision, if we were to read, go back to chapter 1, the first vision, God returns with, with his mercy to Jerusalem. 
and he brings his people back into the land and his church is going to be built that's what we see in that first vision of chapter one you know the house was uh, in ruins and now he will bring it back into repair the house was in ruins because Israel had sinned against the Lord and the Lord had sent them into exile and now he brought them back in his mercy in the second vision what does Zechariah see? He sees the craftsmen or carpenters coming to now work on the temple. That's in verses 18 through 21 of chapter 1. And now in this vision, the third vision, the surveyor goes out to check the width and the length of Jerusalem with a measuring line. You could say he's a surveyor and they're ready to build. Just going back for a few minutes to verses 18 through 21. Just reflecting on the second vision for a moment because that helps us to understand the next one. How is it that these craftsmen, these carpenters, will terrify and cast out the horns of the nations? These horns are symbolic of these, these powers, these rulers, these kings of the nations around Jerusalem. How is it that these craftsmen, these carpenters, will terrify them? How is it that they're going to terrify these hostile powers that are just surrounding God's people, north, south, east, and west. How is it? Well, it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. He's the ultimate craftsman, the son of a carpenter. And through his death and resurrection, what did he do? He conquered the powers of evil, and he has come to build. There's the craftsman imagery. He's come to build his church, and the gates of Hades shall never prevail against it. The church will never, ever die. Other things, other institutions are temporary, but not the church. And you see Christ, he cast out demons who were terrified of him. There's the terror. The demons were terrified of him. God in the flesh. In John 12, 31, 32, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out and I am lifted up from the earth and I will draw all peoples to myself that's powerful, that's a powerful craftsman and the terror of the earth the terror of the world around them shows in, Christ, uh, uh, in, in the presence of Christ today of course our risen and ascended Lord our master craftsman is in heaven what does he say? he said don't let your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are, you got it, mansions. He's continuing to build. I go to prepare a place for you. Boy, we don't have anything to worry about. In Christ, that is. In the meantime, Jesus is our master craftsman. He's using skilled workers in his church on earth. He's using you to build his church by his word and spirit. Through you, fathers, mothers, members, Shepherds, He's saying, preach and teach the kingdom of God. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's really what's so central. That's a central activity in the housing economy of God in this world. Because it's in this way, he's building and growing his church and kingdom. The housing market's growing. You notice that? Throughout the world, believers, people coming to faith in Christ, the housing economy is growing. God's housing economy. That's the most important. 
They can't bring down God's house, not for a second. They try, but God's word will not fail. And that's what really shows here in these visions. And now we come to that third vision. And the Lord says, and with great emphasis, he says, I myself will be a wall. I will be a wall of fire all around you. You know, he's the wall of fire between those horns out there, those, those, powerfuls, those, those powerful horns, and his people. He is that wall. You can't see that wall. It's invisible, but it's certainly there. That wall of fire around his people. And in this, in this vision, we see two things. We see God's comfort for his people. What is it? Protection and his presence. His protection and his presence. We see that in verses 1 through 5. And second of all, we hear his summons, flee and rejoice. The two always go together. If you don't flee, you don't rejoice. We're going to see that too. So the first thing is, God. we see God's comfort here, uh, his, his protection and presence. You notice in verse 1, what does Zechariah see in this vision? He sees a man with a measuring line. I think most carpenters know what a measuring line is. I'm still figuring out exactly what it looks like. But anyway, it's a measuring line in his hand. In response to Zechariah's question, uh, he says, where are you going? And he says, uh, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what its length is going to be. This young man is enthusiastic, he's energetic, he's passionate for the kingdom of God, he's a surveyor, and he takes God's promise to heart. God's going to rebuild his church, and he takes his promise to heart. Oh, that would all young people, all people, take that to heart. He's going to build his church, and you see that passion in this young man. And he begins to me measure the city's parameter, right, all around. And what, for, for what purpose? For the reconstructing of its ruined walls. Stone walls, as you know, were the walls that were intended to protect cities, especially in that, in that day, in that time. To protect its people from enemies. And you notice in verse 3, the angel, Zechariah often had an interpreting angel at his side, who would speak to him. But the angel who was at, at Zechariah's side, he goes out. And he meets another angel. And that other angel tells him to run and tell this young man that those kinds of walls he has in mind, it's not necessary anymore. It's going to be a city without walls. I mean, such is the, the strength of the Lord being the wall of fire. What does the Lord have in mind here for his housing economy in his kingdom? We see three Ps in verses 4 and 5. First of all, the first P. You know, these three Ps, are, they're, they're is far richer, far more glorious now that, that Christ has in mind, has come. Uh, these three Ps are far richer than what, even what the surveyor has in mind. But first thing is, God will prosper her. He will grow her so that his church, Jerusalem, won't be able to be walled in anymore. It's going to be impossible to put up physical walls. You see verse 4? Because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. He's going to prosper her. But then what about her defense and protection? Well, we see second in verse 5, God is her, is her protection. No need for physical walls around Jerusalem. Verse 5a, I myself, that, that, that word of myself should be in there. I myself, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her. 
And it doesn't stop there. Third, inside that fiery wall of protection, God says in verse 5, I will be her glory. I will be the glory in her midst. That's his presence. He will prosper her. He will protect her. And he will be present with her. You know, you don't see that wall, but that wall is there around his church. The wall of fire. And throughout scripture, fire is associated with the Lord's presence, isn't it? Protecting his people, but at the same time, a consuming fire. A consuming fire for God's enemies. For our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. It's a powerful wall. It's a strong wall. It's a safe wall for his people. God is a sure, he's a safe protection of his people. You know, God went before his people. How? We sang that in the song. In the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Well, his people passed through that scary wilderness filled with all kinds of dangerous beasts and dangerous animals and prey. And on the day of Pentecost, you see the Holy Spirit, right, was poured out upon the church in Jerusalem, resting on his disciples as tongues of fire. God is present. God is there with his people. And we see in these words of Zechariah 2, 4 to 5, that are initially fulfilled at Pentecost, when people from many nations, Acts 2, came to Jerusalem, and a multitude heard the gospel of salvation from sin, the good news of salvation from sin. He who the Jews had put to death, that the one that they put to death now reaches out to them in his mercy, having borne the fires of God's judgment upon himself for their sins. And what happens? 3,000 come to faith and are added to that church on that day. You know, Jerusalem is just not big enough to contain all of God's people. And you see that also from Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. Paul says here, For he, Christ himself, is our peace, and he has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. You know what? No more walls, ideally, between believers. Regardless of nationality, language, or color. No more walls in Christ's vision, in the biblical vision. No more walls. Equally believers, right, in the sight of Christ. No more walls between believers and Christ. And his glory is in the midst of the growing church, his ever-expanding kingdom throughout the world. Even as the houses of the gods begin to totter and fall, Political houses, temporary, falling like dominoes. Religious houses, the gods of other religions, their temples, falling like dominoes. Nations topple, leaders topple, but his church, he will keep, protect, and prosper. The wall of fire. As a wall of fire, the Lord divides the church from the world. Right? His people from those scary horns of power all around us. We tremble. We tend to fear. We shouldn't. Wall of fire. You don't see it. But it's there. He's there to protect. He divides those who belong to Jesus through faith 
and confess him as Lord from those who do not. The Lord himself, the wall of fire, he surrounds his people. That wall of safety, a wall of security, a wall of protection. But to those on the outside, a wall of judgment. This God protected, this glory filled Jerusalem in verses 1 through 5 really then is the basis for the call in verses 6 through 13. God gives a summons. Knowing this, knowing what you have, knowing that you have this wall around you, he says to his people, I have a summons. He he has a call to his people. He summons his people with two things. To flee and to rejoice. Both. God calls for a response to his love and grace, which is ultimately revealed in the coming of Jesus Christ, in whose image his people are being transformed. First, the summons to flee. We see that in verses 6 through 9. Up! Up! Flee from the land of the north. Flee from Babylon, says the Lord. Up, Zion! Up, church! Escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. See that in verses 6 and 7. You know, these, there were exiles at that time who were, yeah, among God's people, but they did not return to Jerusalem at that time. They stayed in Babylon. And the danger was not physical. That was not the danger. That's, physical dangers are not real dangers. They're not the primary dangers. The primary danger was spiritual. They were becoming too comfortable in their surroundings. They were becoming too much like the culture around them, the idols, Adopting the lifestyles around them. Their thinking, their habits, their practices. Not according to God's word and to his law. Temptation is all too real for God's people today. The problem is not that as God's people we live and work in the world. No, God intended us to live and work in this world. But the problem is our sinful nature. The problem is giving in to worldly pressures. Little by little. Slowly losing that vision of that wall of fire surrounding you. A wall that protects. A wall that judges. And so easily want to avoid the conflict. And it's a conflict the gospel of Jesus Christ will always bring. You can never avoid it as God's people. We can never avoid the conflict because God has instituted a division, an antithesis between the church and the world. Sometimes God's people, at that time too, they were not remembering the wall of fire that was around them. And they had to realize they're not the daughter of Babylon. They're the daughter of Zion. There's a difference between the two. In addressing idolatry, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What consummation or what communion has light with darkness? And then in verse 17 we read of 2 Corinthians 6, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Practically, what does this mean? Practically this means don't bring Babylon into your home. Don't bring Babylon into your church. Don't bring it into your home through TikTok, through iPod. Nothing wrong with a computer. Nothing wrong with cell phone. 
What are you bringing into it and into the home? With whom do you want your children to identify? The daughter of Babylon or the daughter of Zion? Two very different identities. Think of two months ago. June was called Pride Month. We have to be really clear with our children. We need to call it sodomy. That's what the Bible calls it. It's sodomy. The Bible is that clear. And all those who do not humble themselves, God is a consuming fire. And to all who repent and believe, they will humble themselves of their pride and see that there truly is indeed forgiveness, healing, reconciliation, and protection from his wrath. We have a huge ministry in our midst, don't we? And that's why the Lord says to his people, come, come, flee, escape. Don't get used to it. Don't accommodate to it. Don't start adapting to their thinking and to their language. Call it for what it is. Use biblical language. Don't adapt and don't adopt the language of the culture around us. We have his word. That's clear. God says in Revelation 18.4, Come out of her, my people. Why? Lest you share in her sins. Lest you receive of her plagues. Verse 8. The Lord calling them to flee. It's really interesting, his response. It's almost like he woos his bride. He loves his bride. He woos her. He woos his bride to heed the summons. Verse 8, he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. God's glory or honor is what drove him, is what drove him or sent him to the nations to fetch his bride and to bring her back and cleanse her. He came. He went there to bring her out. It's not that his people is so precious in herself, but she is precious to God because of God's promises in Christ, his covenant promise in Christ. So precious, so precious that God even chose to give up his only beloved son for her unto death, even death on the cross in order to protect you see how much it cost him to put that wall of fire to surround you? He really cares. He really loves. We have reason for courage. We have reason to be strong in the Lord. In the Lord, you see the warrior image of verse 8. For surely I will shake my hand against them. Very powerful. I will shake my hand against them. Don't you dare touch them. Don't you dare. And they, those nations that I shake my hand against, they will become the spoil for their servants. God will conquer them, either unto death or repentance. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. The Lord, the sovereign one, will plunder the nations. And he did so in Christ. Think about Psalm 2. The nations belong to Christ. They're in his possession. They belong to him. And you see the conversion of the peoples of the nations. The work of Christ among them. The nations are in his inheritance. And his people will inherit this earth. God will mop up the resistance. And eventually give this to his people. 
The Lord himself is a wall of fire around his church. You know, we flee to Christ. And when we flee to Christ, when we flee from the world and flee to Christ, there we find a place of joy and refuge and peace. There we respond with joy and singing. No place like it than in the church where they're singing. Don't just stop with fleeing. Enjoy Christ. Sing. Rejoice. It's a very positive work that he's doing. There's reasons to feast, not to fast. Good reason to sing. Good reason to rejoice. And that brings us to the second psalmist, verses 10 through 12. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. See what he's called here? Daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Sing and rejoice. Sing and rejoice. Why? Because I dwell in your midst. He says that twice. I will dwell in your midst. And he has come. He has come in Christ to dwell among us in his flesh. He died, rose again. Today lives in us by his spirit. He lives in his house. And unlike the world, God's people have reason to sing and rejoice in all circumstances. Many nations are being joined to the Lord, becoming his people. His church can sing the song of the future already now today before Christ's return. Revelation 21.1 says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. He is a wall of fire around his people. I want to conclude with an illustration of how God blesses his people. We should never underestimate what God will do for his church even in very very difficult difficult times two months ago there was a pastor Tim Stevens he preached the gospel to the Calgary police force hundreds of them the very force the very men who put him into prison two times because he kept his church open during COVID Whatever you may think of the matter, what is so clear here is how the Lord blessed him in his situation. And he wrote this after the funeral. He says, I was honored to preach the gospel at the funeral of one of Calgary's police officers who began attending our church in 2021. It was his request to have me preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to hundreds of his fellow officers at his funeral. He desired that they know the forgiveness, the hope, and joy that only Jesus can give. And he says, I preach from John 5, where Jesus speaks of his authority to give life and authority to judge. We were reminded that we will all stand before King Jesus to give an account. Now is the time to make peace with the great Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, through repentance and faith in his person and work on the cross. He says, I express to the members of the Calgary Police Service that I honor their work. It's my desire that they follow Christ Jesus as Lord and my Savior. My prayer is that the gospel seed sown will bear much fruit among the members of the Calgary Police Services. One of the police was converted during that time in 2021. The very police, one of them, who arrested him, jailed him two times. He dies with confession of the Lord on his lips. 
and he preaches at a funeral with hundreds of officers. Don't mess with God's housing economy. Don't mess with it. Verse 13, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. For the Lord is aroused from his holy habitation. Amen.